listening to episode 22, chapter one of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Jeffrey Cuse has a PhD from the University of Glasgow and is professor of Christian ministry, theology, and culture at Seattle Pacific University. He is also the executive director of Pivot Northwest. He is a regular contributor to the Kindling's Muse podcast on theology and culture, and is on the editorial board of Literature and Theology. His books include Freedom of the Self, Blur, and Your Neighbor's Hymnal. Cuse lives in Seattle, Washington with his wife, Diana, and their three children. There's a common fear every human being faces. It's a fear of being alone, and not just being physically isolated from others. It's a fear of not belonging or fitting in with the group. So many times as you follow Jesus, you have questions you want to ask, but you may feel you just can't. Maybe someone made fun of you for asking a serious question once, or maybe the answers you get from other Christians miss what you were really asking in the first place. Eventually, you stop asking questions altogether because it's easier to pretend you have the answers so you can fit in and belong. If you've been here or felt like this before, this episode is for you. We're excited about this chapter with Jeff Cuse because he talks about the value things like doubt and questions have for our growth every day. These things aren't the opposite of what it means to have faith. Instead, as he argues, absolute certainty is the opposite of faith. Well, Dr. Cuse, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great for, th- great for having me. Thank you. Really excited to talk to you. Um, really enjoyed your book, Live the Questions, How Searching Shapes Our convictions and commitments. Um, this, this idea of asking questions and, and, how, and how they affect our life is really fascinating and something that Josh and I have been passionate about and curious about for a long time. Um, for those of our listeners that know, we had a, a previous podcast called Theology in Progress, where it was a lot more designed around asking questions and then just sort of struggling with that tension. And so um, we really love what this book is saying, particularly for how that applies to our life and following Jesus. And so that's why we're excited to, to dig into it a little bit more. Now, usually I ask the question, why did you write the book? But I think a better way of sort of getting at that might be to start with the story you tell in the introduction about how you came to faith in Christ. So could you tell us that story first, and then we'll get into how that sort of helped birth this idea of living into these questions? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I... Yeah, I grew up in a well-meaning, uh, gracious family, uh, not church-going when I was young. Uh, my parents um, uh, basically left college at a young age, moved to Hawaii to live on the beach, and, uh, and it was the early 60s, and that's what people did. And uh, I was born in Honolulu. Uh, my parents uh, went back to school and through some funding through the Peace Corps, moved to Guam. Uh, lived in Guam for a while and then moved back to the mainland uh, later when I was younger. And so I tell all that in the beginning to say that my parents, who have a very deep passion for meaning and for purpose, um, were always very inquisitive people. And they were exploring other cultures, exploring big ideas. And by the time I got to high school, I was uh, just a voracious questioner. I asked a lot of questions in class. I would kind of gather readings together. I was kind of a bookworm nerd kind of guy. And um, 
in the midst of all of that, uh, I encountered a, uh, uh, I'm a young life kid. If you want to use those kind of languages, I had a young life leader named Ron Pyle who, um, really grabbed my attention and he was not afraid of asking questions that were outside of what I considered to be, um, off topics. So as somebody who was listening to a lot of music, reading a lot of literature, I, my mind was being sparked with big ideas. And my picture in my mind was you go to church to get answers, but the rest of the world was asking questions. And so I was kind of closed off to the idea of church and to Christianity because I thought it was all about closing off conversations. It was people who were settled. They had a sense of certainty to them. They were kind of pushing aside the idea of inquisitory questions and weren't even taking on board that. And these were all prejudices that I had as a teenager. And yet when I met Ron and I met some other people who embodied uh, what Christianity was really about, they were opening up bigger questions than I ever thought imaginable. And one of the things that Ron really showed me was that following Jesus was being followed into deeper and more abiding questions. And the questions weren't scary. Uh, questions weren't problems. They were actually opening me up to receive more and more of who God was and who uh, Christ wanted me to become. And that really began my conversion experience. Um, I'm much more of an Emmaus convert as opposed to a Damascus convert. I kind of wound my way through the journey of life. It wasn't a big flash like it had for Paul. I was kind of walking the journey of Emmaus and being asked a lot of questions by Christ who was veiled behind me saying, hey, reread that, relook at that, rethink about that. And that led me into my life as I went off to college and others, other places to really look at the life of faith is about asking bigger questions because the bigger questions we ask, the bigger God becomes. The fewer questions we ask, the smaller God becomes. And fast forward to where I am now, as a theologian and teaching at a university, and I've been in higher education now for 30 years, um, I've seen generations of students struggle with this tension. I've seen people in church ministry as I've pastored and seen them struggle with this tension of, is the goal of, of my faith to get locked down answers of certainty, or is it journeys of faith? And I've seen over and over again people who, when they hit a crisis in their life, when they hit doubt in their life, they all of a sudden feel like they failed like something's happened, something must have gone wrong. But I see it as, no, God's trying to break open a whole new vista for you. They're breaking through a wall in your house to show you how expansive this living room could actually be um, and pushing through those doubts and kind of the need for certainty into bigger questions. And so what I was drawn to in writing the book was the Bible is actually a big question book. Um, it's, a, it's a bunch of people asking questions of God, God asking questions of us, and my main thesis as I got into the book was, if we learn to ask the questions the scripture asks, then the questions that we're gonna ask of our lives may change. And that's really good. I see a lot of people asking the wrong questions. And when we ask the wrong questions, we may get to the wrong place. Um, what salary do I need? You know, How do I get to be more beautiful and attractive? How can I get likes on that post? I mean, these are all things that we all get trapped in. But if we start asking the questions and follow the question trajectory of scripture, as a spiritual discipline, and that's kind of my big thing, is that question asking is a spiritual discipline of the church. When we ask the right questions of Scripture, it takes us to a different place. Wow, there, that is so good. So much to unpack there. I love it. Um, I, I think I would like to start with asking, though, if the Bible is like a big question book, and we agree with that 100%, and one of our things has been to, like, if we can just get people asking the right questions, if we could just crack their mind open, I think that's like 85% of the battle, and then the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. If you're just able to get come up with the right question, I think we've won. 
And so I think you're very much in, in line with that as well. I mean, that, that seems to be your, uh, your faith conversion experience is just along Absolutely. that line. Um, so why is it that the church has neglected this area of asking questions or almost put it down and discouraged us from asking certain questions in, in, in that context, especially? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, no, no pun intended uh, on, on that point. Um, I, I think it comes down to three big things. I mean, generally speaking, and I say this having been at, you know, bedside and people in hospice care as they're ending their, as life is ending for them. I've seen this with young people in ministry. I've seen this in pastoral ministry, I've seen in classrooms. So as I kind of look at the human life cycle, some things that the church has responded to is one is um, church leaders really think that certainty is what they're there for is that they feel that when they've done their education, when they've kind of come through seminary, when they've kind of come into pastoral ministry in a church, then when people are in crisis, we need to give them something solid. Uh, and so what we think that solidity is, is a certain answer. This is what you need to do. And in some regards, that's a really pa good pastoral response. If somebody's in pain and suffering, here, take this medicine, here, suture that wound, um, stop doing that. Um, these are all very good things that we need to do for people. But that idea of certainty with regards to God can become a way to close off question asking and people run, just, just give me the bottom line, you know, skip through all the rest of it. So I think certainty is one thing that, that pastoral leaders feel like they need to do as opposed to faith. Because in the book, I talk about that certainty and faith are not the same thing. Uh, faith is a relationship and a journey that grows. Certainty cuts off all of that in many ways. And that's, and that's a tension that I think people have. So that's one thing is certainty. I think the other thing is acceleration and accelerated culture, is that more and more people feel that efficiency and acceleration are the things that are valued most. You know, how do I get to something faster? How do I do more with less time? Uh, all of those things, I think, get us tangled up into not taking a long enough time to sit with our lives and where they're at. So that's another thing is acceleration, uh, you know, is another thing that kind of is part of that. And I think the third thing is that we've We've mistaken vulnerability for intimacy in that when we when we talk about questions and kind of what that means, oftentimes people think, well, here, let me just tell you what, I, what I'm going through. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a relationship. Right. And that's part of what social media has done is it's traded vulnerability for intimacy. It's like, let me expose all of me to you. But it doesn't cost me anything to do that. Right. Intimacy requires me to be in a relationship that's that's gowned together. It, vulnerability will lead to intimacy, but it doesn't necessarily lead there all the time. Um, so I think in our churches, the, the 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 hunger for getting to certainty, the accelerated and efficient way we want to get things done, and the idea that well I'm being vulnerable, so therefore I must be fine. Um, yeah, those three things I think create a really bad alchemy. Yeah. You, you spend, uh, right off of the beginning of the book, you do something that we love, and you define your terms like you were just doing, the doubt, belief, absolute certainty and, and faith. Can you run through those again real quick and, and just help us delineate? I think you just did doubt and belief there. Can you do absolute certainty and faith? So in the book on page 14, I kind of uh, want to set up some definitions as we get into it, because I know sometimes we can get tangled up on these words. So first of all, doubt. Uh, one of the things I really want to make sure we, we get on the table is that doubt is not a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, so a willingness to dig deeper into truth claims rather than dismissing them out of hand is what I mean by doubt, right? So if I doubt something, it's like, well, tell me more, right? That's what I mean by good doubt, right? So, so I think that's really important is that to say to people in faith, hey, doubt, 
right? There's a reason why we have a lot of doubters who are personified in scripture, right? They bring us to a good place. So, so digging deeper is what I mean by doubt. Belief, accepting something as true or worthy of affirmation, not merely in word, but also in deed. One of the things I really think is important about question askers is that they embody their belief, right? To believe in something means you see the fruits of it, right? This is really key to Jesus's ministry. You can say something, but until you show me what it looks like, I'm not sure you actually believe it, right? I can say that economic justice is important, but until I see you live it out, how do I know that it's true, right? So belief is more than words, but also deeds. Absolute certainty, right? This is the state of affirming there's no possible, there's no possibility of being wrong and being closed off to questioning. Now, and this is a thing I think I just mentioned earlier is that we, I, I see this with my students as well. They want to get to certainty, right? How do I get to an answer? And But the moment you get to that point of saying, well, now I've got the answer, you close the book. You don't need God's, inter you don't need God's intervention anymore. I don't need people anymore, right? Uh, and, and what that does is it really betrays, I think, one of the classic issues that throughout scripture we see with human beings is human beings are constantly in this tension between isolation and relationship, right? From the very beginning of Genesis all the way through the canon of scripture, what certainty actually is, is symptomatic of our own isolation or a need for being alone, right? I mean, think about it this way. Every Sunday morning in many churches, people will come in to the sanctuary, they'll sit down for worship. And in their minds, many people are thinking this thought, how do I not need a single person in this room? <laughs> how, how, how do I become financially solvent, emotionally together, how do I become, maybe I become even better than, maybe I become so financially together, I can be benevolent to others, right? But how can I be in a position in my life where I don't have to depend on other people or need other people? And this is what spent, spent, people spend a lot of time during their week trying to build up and think is the job of being a human being is being this automaton that's isolated in the universe and not needing another person. Now, how do you talk about the church when you populate a sanctuary of people who are sitting there quietly praying, thinking, Lord, how can I become not needing other people, <laughs> right? And, and, and that's what uncertainty is one of those things. It's like, how do we get to a place where I don't have to ask questions anymore? Um, I don't have to have God interpret the text anymore. I don't need the Holy Spirit interpreting it anymore. And that's what happens with absolute certainty. Now, people will not explicitly say that, but implicitly you see them live it out all the time. And the fourth thing is that when I talk about faith, and this is what I think is is the... So the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. <laughs> and what faith is, is the continuous act of believing in all aspects of your life, committing to someone or something despite occasional uncertainty and a willingness always to be questioned for a sake of deeper understanding. And that last part, always being open to being asked questions, to be interrogated, to, to give a reason for why I believe what I believe. This is what faith is about. Ultimately, faith is a relationship through and through. Um, when students uh, in my classes or parishioners ask me about heaven, when you get into apocalyptic literature or things like that, they're always kind of interested in what's the afterlife like. And I'm always trying to tell them, you know, the afterlife is not a place, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. You know, it's not about we get more real estate, we get more me time, you know, it's about leisure. I mean, these things can be implied, but ultimately we have to remember that faith is always a relational question. Who are you in relationship with? Who are those people surround you? Uh, and that's the opposite of what certainty does. Certainty pushes us into a place of isolation and ultimately loneliness. 
which we see as one of the great plagues of our current 21st century situation is isolation and loneliness. Yeah. So that'd be some of my thoughts on that. For me, that always goes back to our design, like the very first sin. If you look at the, the temptation, it was, uh, if you take this, you can be like God. And that's, that's kind right. of been, for me, the underlying uh, tendency in every human, every sinful human motivation. So this desire for certainty, it's a desire to be in control of completely and absolutely everything about our existence. And so things like financial solvency or uh, having all the answers, those mean that we are in control. And not having that control right. is, is kind of a scary thing sometimes because it means that we're not gods anymore. But that's exactly what the Christian yes. life is all about, and I, th- I love that you're describing faith that way, because it's, it's really about coming to Christ and saying that I do not have uh, certainty in and of myself, and it's, it's about that relationship with Him and learning to come to Him and a relationship of trust and uh, openness and honesty, and that's, that's great. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that in the early church, I mean, one of the big movements of de- defining what a Christian was was worshiping the living God. The first act of knowing that you're a Christian is that you're worshiping the true God. I mean, so much of what Paul's message was about, so much of what the Gospels were about, was naming the false gods, turning from idols, and moving towards the true God. Because the moment you decide this is the true God and I am now in a posture of worship, a lot of things start falling in place. You know, it's not about you. You know, to cite Rick Warren's famous first line of purpose driven life, it's it's not it's 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 about what who is God, and that's what makes it the the journey of the questions of Scripture that I talk about in the book so interesting, is it puts us in a posture of reminding us that human beings are not the star of the show. <laughs> you know, God is actually the primary actor in the entire narrative, and we get to participate, which is a wonderful gift. But we are not the center of the universe. I mean, you know, we are not the subject and God is the object. God is the subject. Right. Uh, And but that's a powerful place for us as human beings to be, to be loved by this God, to be enabled by this God and to be taken on this grand journey, this adventure of faith um, that God gets to take us on. Yeah. And it's it's really scary when we first sort of step out in that. And I'm going to start jumping into all of the questions now with what I'm about to say, I just realized. But um, uh, but there's also an, an immense amount of security and peace that comes from that, too, when we at least are able to accept and get comfortable with the wrestlings and, and the fact that we're going to have these questions. When we understand that faith doesn't mean having absolute certainty about all aspects of our life, we are free to ask questions that help us better understand what God is doing in and through us. Although we may want to have immediate answers to all of our questions, the process of wrestling with deep and difficult questions is what produces growth in us. They cause us to seek God and to search our hearts. The process, in this case, is often just as helpful as the answers we receive. So today, take some time to write down some of the questions you are wrestling with and begin asking God how he wants to use these questions to make you more like him. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. 
It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about what Jeff has to say about questions, check out his book, Live the Questions. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Jeff takes us through the very first question God ever asked humanity. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.